Well, hey, once again, uh, let me just say good morning. Great to be with you. Uh, in this uh, fall season, we've been going through uh, this little book, uh, but impactful book of Second Peter together. And today is our fourth week in this study. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn there with me now to the book of Second Peter, the verse we just read, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2 more specifically. Um, as we en enter uh, chapter 2 and, and work our way through it, you're going to see uh, why this book, why Second Peter is one of the most neglected books of the New Testament. Um, this chapter, I mean, we just read it together, you can see clearly, right, it's, it's very intense. Um, there is some strong and stern uh, language here. And so I, I think it's important to remember, even before we, we, we start today, to, to keep in mind that these words that were read and the words that we'll be studying to, today, um, this is God's inspired word. It's God's inspired word, which means uh, these words are ultimately here for our benefit. They're here for our benefit, to help us to grow. So let's have that mindset as we enter into today's text together. Um, I remember a, a few years back, uh, I was on the main street of Itaewon, uh, just down the, the street from our, our church building here, uh, and I was walking by uh, one of those carts. Uh, you know, you've seen them. They sell like t-shirts and stuff like that. This one specifically sold sunglasses. Uh, well, I just so happened to be wanting some sunglasses and so I stopped to look around. And of course, uh, what you see there is, this is Korea, right? It's Seoul specifically. You stop at these carts on the street and it's, of course, it's all designer brands, right? Designer brands. Um, there was a lot of no name, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, bigger names that you would know. Things like, you know, Gucci and Burberry and, and Chanel. And in particular, there was all these Ray-Ban sunglasses they're all fake, okay, but they're, they're mimicking these brands. And I had specifically been wanting these uh, black Ray-Ban sunglasses. I'd already searched them online. I knew what I wanted. And um, I, so I'm, I'm there, and, and it just so happens that they're there, like the, the, the glasses that I, I want. So I picked them up, and um, again, I, I know that they're fake, right? Uh, because it's on a car in Taiwan, first of all. Um, but second of all, it's a tenth of the cost, right? Um, but here's what was crazy. Like, I had pulled up my phone, the sunglasses that I, I wanted, the real ones, right, from the Ray-Ban website. And I have the fake ones in my hand, the real ones on my phone, and I'm looking at all the details, like the serial number, the country of origin, um, and every detail was on these glasses, these physical glasses that I had in my hand. And so... I bought them. I bought them. They were like 10,000, something like that. I probably got ripped off, but they were like 10,000. And I love those sunglasses. They like look great, whatever. And I mean, I can honestly say um, they, were, they were the best pair of sunglasses I ever had for the two weeks that I had them. Okay? I remember, again, walking down, I live in Itaewon, walking down the streets of Itaewon, you know, it's a summer, I got these sunglasses on, you know, I'm looking, you know, walking down or whatever, and I'm like walking down the street and all of a sudden they just fall off my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, that was embarrassing. 
And so I, 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 I went to the ground and, you know, I picked it up and, you know, put everything in my pocket. And when I got home, I'm like, I got to put these things together. And so um, it was interesting because, again, I, I had looked at these sunglasses before. I had, I'm a pretty detail-oriented person. I studied them. Saw no difference. But it wasn't until, see, it wasn't until I got that home and, and the interior was exposed. And particularly the screws that held the arms to the frame. It wasn't until I saw those screws that I, I realized, oh, there's a huge difference here. Uh, it was the interior glass of the glasses. It's what, it's what held the glasses together that made all the difference in the world. Uh, from what was real to what's a knockoff, from what's expensive to what's fake and what's cheap. And what I realized is, a good lesson that day. See, just because it looks like a pair of Ray-Bans doesn't make them Ray-Bans. And that's sort of the situation we have here in Second Peter. See, what happened was these false teachers had wormed their way into the church. And they were presenting themselves as spiritual. But they were really fake. They were counterfeit. And that was a big problem which is a large reason for this letter. Now, as we looked at chapter one, what we saw is everything there was pretty positive, right? Encouraging. Um, it was centered on this idea of pursuing godliness and trusting the reliability of God's word, trusting the scriptures. But now we, we turn over to chapter two and Peter writes here more in the negative. I need to be clear, the goal for Peter is still the same. Peter wants us to grow in grace. He wants us to pursue Jesus. But now, Peter's approach is going to be much less inviting and, and more challenging. He's going to talk a lot about judgment today. Right? So, exactly what you needed on a Sunday morning after a long and busy week, right? Right? got your coffee this morning, heard some uplifting worship. Now you get to hear about Sodom. <laughs> Fallen angels being kept in prison, God flooding the world. Right? You're all excited to be here, right? I'm sure. But joking aside, what, what, I, what I do, what I do hope that we learn and see today above everything else, all, even all the, the details that we're going to try to touch base on a little bit in, this, in these verses what I want us to see is that God loves us enough to warn us. That God cares for us enough to say, be careful. Be aware. And with that, I also pray that we would see that the same God who is the just judge, the same God who is the just judge, is at the very same time, the gracious rescuer. It's the same God. That while, yes, a lot of this text is harsh, actually the entire chapter is, is harsh, it is sobering, it is also an opportunity for great hope and for great comfort today. And that makes this worth studying together. And so today, we're going to work our way through verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. And we'll consider these scriptures today under uh, two main headings. First of all, we're going to look at the false teachers themselves and their followers. 
And then we're going to pivot uh, to look at this second theme, which is shown in these verses, which is God's judgment and his rescue. Okay, So I'm going to try to simplify things, again, by starting with these false teachers and their followers, and then moving from there to God himself and the reality that he judges and rescues simultaneously. So let's start with verse 1. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So here we see Peter linking this back to verses 20 through 21 of chapter 1, where he's speaking out about the, the true prophets. You remember? He says that God had raised up these prophets, his own prophets, people who were used under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record scripture. Okay? He raised up those people. But now he says, now he says, along with those individuals, false prophets were around as well. They were also present. And of course, we see that all throughout the Old Testament, from the time of Moses, actually. All the way back, I believe the first recording of it is Deuteronomy 13. There we have this entire chapter, actually, devoted to instructing the Israelites on how to identify a false teacher, a false prophet. Or then later in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord speaks through Jeremiah, actually, and, and says this. God says this, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. And then God continues. He says, I did not send them. I did not command them. I did not speak to them. And yet they prophesy false visions. You see, the reality for today is there's always been false prophets. It's one of the things I want us to know as we enter this text on false prophets. We have to be aware, be aware that false prophets have always been around. Okay, you need to know that. There's always been false gospels. There's always been false teachers. There's always been fake Christians. And there always will be. So this is Peter's initial message here. Be aware because false teachers, again, they've always been around. And then in light of that, Peter gives us a few things that these teachers do. So that we can better identify them. Look at verse 1 again. It says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, and then look at this, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's what they do. So what Peter tells us here is we also have to be aware, not just because they're always around, but also because these people distort the truth. That's what they do. False prophets are in the business of distorting, of manipulating the truth, changing the gospel, if you will. So these are heretics, actually. That's what Peter calls them. Um, and a heretic, I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Sometimes it's thrown away, even like just thrown out casually or in a joking manner. But a heretic is specifically someone who actively chooses something that isn't true. Okay? They are conscious about this choice and choosing something that isn't true. Or I've heard heretic or heresy defined this way. A heretic is someone who believes what he or she wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which they must believe. 
And, and let's be clear, we aren't talking about opinions here. All right? We're not talking about uh, minor points of, of belief or doctrine here, okay? Heresy is disagreeing with essentials of our faith. Right? These people were bringing in a teaching that was counter to Jesus, a teaching that was counter to the apostles, counter to the gospel message, counter, uh, a counter message of our identity and who we are as followers of Jesus. And notice, they were doing this secretly, Peter says. Secretly. They're doing it in secret. And what that doesn't mean is that they were like um, hiding away in the closet, right? Or they're only saying things like in a, in, in a specific room of the, of the building for people who knew the password. Right? No, that's not what he's saying. Peter's saying what they've done is they've actually, they've come in to the gathering. They're, they're, they're quoting scripture. You know, they're all energetic, you know, big smiles on their face. They speak the name of Jesus they have all the right words, but once they have crept their way in, at that moment, they're being crafty and cunning to deceive. They're very subtle in their approach, Peter says. Think of it this way. False prophets will use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. It's a really good way to think of it, I think. False prophets, false teachers, they always use our vocabulary, but they never use our dictionary. In other words, you will hear them say the same terms, Jesus, Savior, salvation, redemption, the inspiration and authority of Scripture. But the meaning of those words that they are using are not the meaning of the words as you and I know them from Scripture. Same vocabulary, different dictionary. And so Peter says they might be using the name of Jesus, but, he says, but they deny Christ. You see that in the rest of verse 1? They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Then he says, even denying the master, Jesus, or Lord, who bought them, who redeemed them, who purchased them. And this is really at the heart of false teaching. This is it right here. False teaching at its heart is a denial of Christ. The word here, deny, it actually, it literally translates to the word contradict, to contradict. So, so again, these people were saying things about Jesus that Jesus never said about himself. And let's be very clear on this point this morning. If you deny Jesus or you contradict Jesus, then you deny Christianity. You contradict Christianity. It's a different religion. It's a different message. Jesus said, there is only one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, sell everything that you have, and then you can follow me. He said, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross every single day, and then you can start to come with me. Jesus said, I and the Father, I and the Father are one. Translation, I am God. Jesus left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He, he died in our place. He died a death that we deserved because of our sins. But praise God, because he conquered death by rising from the grave, bodily from the grave, it means that there is hope today. There is life in his name. 
There is only life in his name. You and I cannot understand. We cannot earn our way to God. We actually don't even deserve to, to be with God, but through Jesus, through faith, and, and, and through faith in him alone, we can have the promise of eternal life here and now, actually. It starts now, but also forever. You can have genuine peace today if you choose to follow Jesus. This is the gospel, and there is no other gospel. So we know these false teachers, they will be around. Okay? They will be around. And they will twist the truth. They will shift doctrine. They will distort the teachings of Jesus and the gospel. And something else that we need to be aware of, uh, we have to be aware that they also, and you've got to bear with me with this point to understand where I'm going, but we also see that they, they widen the way to the kingdom. Okay? They widen the way to the kingdom. In verse 2, Peter says it this way. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. I want you to see a key word there, easy to overlook because of the harshness of like, you know, sensuality and truth and blaspheme. But notice the word there, many. Many. This tells us that this false teaching, these false teachers, more specifically, these false prophets, um, we should expect them to be very popular. Many will follow them. Many will go after their teaching. And what Peter is saying here is that they are teaching things that are more uh, palatable. Uh, they, they, they taste good. They sound good to the ear. They, they warm you a little bit. Or I'll say uh, it's a more attractive gospel, if you will. And, and, I, and I say that in a, in a negative way. The gospel is attractive. There's life and hope in his name. Okay? You can be rescued today, but I mean it in a bad way. Okay? And I don't believe, maybe there's a time for this, but at least praying through this this week, I, I didn't feel uh, like the Lord was leading me to, to open up like a you know, YouTube or something like that and, and go through the 100 most popular preachers in the world and call out individual names. I didn't feel like the Lord was leading me to do that today. Um, I'll let you discern that on your own based on what you hear today. Um, if you want, I guess you could personally ask me my opinion. I'll share it then. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you, if you listen to a teacher, listening to, on a podcast, you have this person pulled up on YouTube, if you're, you're listening to someone and they, they never talk about sin, they, they never even mention the word or the phrase repentance, if their message over and over again, like week after week, is centered around how good you already are, then you need to be really careful. You need to consider the worth and the truth of that teacher and that teaching. Listen, it is absolutely true, and we, we teach this here, right? It's absolutely true that you and I are valuable. We are created in the very image of God. It is true that God loves us so much that he sent his very own son, Jesus, to die for us, to rescue us, but it is also true 
that you and I continually choose to turn ourselves away from God. We constantly choose our own way instead of choosing his way. Paul said, listen, listen, this is the message of the gospel. Paul said, no one is good, not even one. No one. We all sin and fall short of God's standard, which means you and I need Jesus. We need a savior. We don't need a self-help talk. We need a savior. We need help. We are desperate because we are not capable on our own. And if you follow Jesus here today, or you want to follow Jesus, you must get to a place where that becomes a reality of your life, that you humble yourself and realize, I need help. It's actually coming to a place of surrender and saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm lost. Help me. Rescue me. Find me. These teachers come along and they actually water down, they, they minimize the gospel message by making Christianity more about themselves and more about others over Jesus. Listen, at the end of the day, and don't mishear me here on this, but at the end of the day, let me be clear, the Bible is not about you. It's not about you. It's about God who chose to have a relationship with us, which in that, that makes us valuable. Only that. It's not about you. I'm not listening to a, you know, a message, it's, you know, David and Goliath, and it's, oh, you go ahead and be a David, right? It's not about you. You can't be anything on your own. I can't be anything on my own. It's about God, the God of David, who makes us courageous. We're not courageous. It's about the God who is created. I can't rescue myself. It's about the God who rescues. That's the gospel. Again, there is no other gospel. But many people, we know this, right? And even in our own hearts, we are drawn so easily to this teaching. Many still are. We're drawn to this. Things that make us feel good. Things, things that tell us what we already are doing or what we affirm what we're already doing or what we want to believe. And then finally, Peter tells us to be aware that these people hide their motives. They hide their motives. So they distort the gospel. They distort the truth. They actually widen the kingdom by making it easy to come in. There's no cost. Again, it's about you. Feel good about yourself. Right? God loves you, he cares for you, but they don't say anything about sin. And then what we also see is these people hide their motives. This is verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Peter says here, these people, they actually shape their words in such a way to say what they believe you want to hear. And they do that because they actually want something from you. It's manipulation. And Peter tells us there is, there's a major problem here, and the root of that problem is greed. They want power. They want status. They want money. And because of that, they exploit people. It means they selfishly take advantage of others. It means here that they actually 
intentionally strip people down of what they have. And this is honestly the the opposite of what a good teacher, of what a spiritual leader, a shepherd is called to do. Shepherds are called to serve. Shepherds are called to be at the bottom of the totem pole. Shepherds are called to sacrifice for their sheep, for the people, but these shepherds were actually taking from their sheep. I grew up in a a church, I won't say the name, um, I grew up in a church, um, um, there was a lot good there, God did a lot of good there, but um, over time, as the church began to grow, you know, things started to, to shift and, and change. My parents even started to question the leadership there and their motives and what they were doing. And um, it was this sort of environment where you even, if you even questioned the leader, then that was considered, you know, sin against the church, sin against God. And um, I remember as a young child, you know, being there, and this is how much it had an impact on me. There was a, a person who came in, and they actually gave the title to this man, a prophet. I'm not saying that prophets don't exist today, okay? I'm not saying that. But they gave him the designation prophet. And he goes up and he preaches this message. It's very convicting. It's very convincing. Very charismatic. And then at the end of this service, there's about 500 of us there. At the end, he starts to pray. And he says things, starts saying things like this. I feel like God is telling me right now that there's someone here that has a, a gold watch on their wrist. And God is saying that that has a a trap on your life and so you need to come and bring it take it off and lay it down here give it away at the altar and then he keeps going he says there's someone else here i believe god he actually said i believe it's a man here you uh you have a diamond ring on your finger and god is likewise telling you to come and sacrifice and then he actually says this and he said a specific money there's someone here um god um, you have this business, and God has, you know, been growing that business. And I feel like God is telling you, and he gives a very specific designated amount of money. He says that God is telling you to come and bring that now. And if you do, within, he says, within 90 days, God will give you tenfold, ten times back. My parents are watching online nodding. Right? They, they remember. Okay. Um, this, this happens. It's It's happening. It's going to continue to happen, okay? And so we must take this as a warning. We, we must be aware. And let me say this as well, because some of us, and, and, and I have a tendency to be here as well, let's not be so arrogant to think that could never happen to me. To think I could never be tugged by that type of leader. I could never be pulled away from from that type of teaching, right? All of us like to hear what we want at times, right? All of us like to be affirmed. And so let's be mindful of our own hearts. Let's be mindful of the reality that our hearts tend to slip so that we don't slip. And then Peter, he actually personifies, it's interesting, he personifies judgment as if it were a person sleeping which leads into his next point. But he says this, their condemnation from long ago, these false prophets, teachers, is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That language, um, it's a little odd, particularly in English. It's a little confusing, um, but I can simplify it really easily for you. All Peter is saying here is, don't worry, church, their judgment is coming. (laughs) It's stern. 
Um, he's saying our God never sleeps. He never go, grows tired and weary. He has the entire world in his hands. And despite these false teachers denying Jesus and the gospel, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he is bringing judgment. And we can imagine at that time in particular, Peter would write a letter and that letter would be passed around, right? And you can imagine these people reading this out loud to the congregation, people listening to these words. It's a warning. I know you're in there. You might be the one reading the letter. I know you're there. Judgment is coming on you. What Peter does here then for us, it's, I'm so thankful. He, he takes the time to actually unveil or to uncover these false teachers' plan of attack. It's like a coach who has watched a lot of film of the opponent and uh, they, they bring the team in a room and they say, see these plays, they only do two things. Right? If you, I coach basketball, so this is the thing. Uh, like, if you know your opponent really well over time and the coach doesn't change, you, you know all their plays. You can start conning them out. This is their best player, this is what he's gonna do, this is what he can and cannot do. He can go right, but he can't go left. So always stay on his right side. So this, this is what Peter is essentially doing for us. He's saying, here's the plan of attack. This is what they do and, and what, they're, what they've been doing. They have one plan and, and we need to know this again, their tactic, because it's so important. It's not if, it's not if these people are coming. It's a question of when. And when they do, we must be prepared because the message that they are bringing is devastating. It's devastating. And let me be very clear, in particular, as our church coming off of COVID, as more and more people come, you need to know that cults in our city have come into these doors. They've knocked. They've asked to talk to me. They've handed out brochures. They email us. They send us things in the mail. It's possible that someone, someone here even now, is sitting among you now. It's possible. It's their tactic. It's what they do. We have to be aware. Peter warns us of this. He says, be aware so that we can grow. We can continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow in the gospel of grace because the gospel, and only the gospel, again, it brings life, which is the opposite of what these false teachers were bringing. They're bringing death. Now, what Peter does next is interesting because he shifts from the false teachers and their followers to really God. And he talks about God's pattern of judgment and rescue. So this next section uh, it's a lot of illustrations. We'll talk about them briefly, but really it's about God's judgment and his rescue. And so in verses 4 through 10, what he does is he actually takes us back to the book of Genesis. And he pulls out three examples for us to make one basic point. It's one simple point today. And we see that point in verses 9 through 10, which is this. That the Lord knows how to rescue and the Lord knows how to judge. It's really what I want you to take away from this section. The Lord knows how to judge, and he will. But the Lord also knows how to rescue, and he will. So let's briefly walk through these three examples, and as we do, what you'll notice is Peter essentially saying, if God did this back then, then he will do it again. This is to give us assurance, to give us confidence. And then on top of that, 
you'll see him speak of judgment in categories, three categories. He goes big to small. First, cosmic judgment with the angels. Second, worldwide or the earthly judgment with the flood. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities, which is a localized judgment. So first, he uses the example of fallen angels. He says this in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. And then he pauses there. You'll notice Peter doesn't finish the thought, actually. He doesn't finish the sentence. And actually, this entire section um, is one big run-on sentence until we get to verse 9. He's just spitting off. He's, he's upset. Okay? He's angry, and he's really serious. But what is Peter's point here with these angels? Well, okay, a good majority of scholars believe this is specifically referring to Genesis chapter 6. Okay? Fallen angels in chapter 6. We aren't, we aren't 100% on that, okay? but there's at least confidence in that direction. And what tradition tells us about this story, you can actually read this from an extra biblical source called the book of First Enoch. Okay? It gives you something to do on a sun, Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon today. Grab a cup of tea, the book of First Enoch. I know you're all going to do that. Okay? It's what you do for fun, like me, right? Okay? But there, if you read that book, tradition tells us that God sends these angels to the earth, these messengers. He sends them to the world with a very specific calling and a very specific task, to come to the earth to teach people how to live well, like how to use um, herbs and how to do things with, with medicine and what's good to eat and what's not good to eat. Tradition tells us this. But instead of doing that, instead of coming to be that messenger of God, instead of coming to fulfill their calling, what they do is their, their passions get in the way. Their sensualities, sensualities get in the way. And they meet, apparently, this group of women and make a decision, a bad one, an evil one, to deceive these women and commit sexual immorality with them. And I know that sounds like a, an extremely crazy story. Well, it is. Because <laughs> it is. And, and just to be clear, just to be clear again, this is tradition, okay? It's tradition about what happened. We don't know exactly what happened. But all we do know, and this is where it's important to know, all we do know is that God did not spare these powerful, glorious angels who were sent to be a blessing to the world and instead exploited the people. And so Peter, knowing his audience very well, a Jewish audience, knowing they know First Enoch, knowing they know the story, he brings this up as an illustration to say, likewise, it will be with the false teachers among you who were sent or should be a blessing to God's people, a blessing to you, but instead they have come and they're exploiting you just like those fallen angels in Genesis chapter 6. You see that? Well, then Peter moves to a second example, which is Noah and the flood. Okay, Noah and the flood. Look at verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Again, run on there. He doesn't finish it. But bottom line here, if God did not spare the world back then, but preserved Noah and his family, then we can be assured that he will not spare false teachers today, but also at the same time, he will rescue the godly. And why? Because we know that God always remains faithful. God always remains true to his character. See, we know that God saw the wickedness that was going on in the world. And it broke his heart so much that he actually 
He's actually so angered by the people's sin and rebellion, they totally discounted God, turned away from him completely, that he flooded the entirety of the earth as a sign of judgment. Some people, scholars, call this God's decreation. Okay? But in that very sad story, we also learn that there was a man named Noah and that God saved Noah. The Bible tells us actually specifically that that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so in that, Noah, we know, became a herald. He proclaimed a, a, a messenger, a proclaimer of the way of salvation. And in that, he and seven others of his family were spared from the flood. God rescued them. So Peter's saying, like the example of the fallen angels, okay, we have here this man named Noah, And we know through Noah's story as well, judgment is coming. But at the same time, praise God for the story of Noah because it also shows us that God rescues, that God saves. And then finally, Peter gives us a third example, and that is an example of Lot and his salty wife. Okay? (laughs) Verse 6 says, some of you will ask your neighbor later, what did I just say? Verse 6 says this. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going on or going to happen to the ungodly. We know that this is a very uh, or somewhat familiar story, or at least it's a familiar location. It's a familiar place. Most people have at least heard of reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's always used as a symbol of a bad place, right? A place of sin, Uh, a place of judgment. And so this serves, again, as a warning to us. It it warns us of where a life of sin leads. It also warns us of future judgment. But I want us also to remember that warnings like this are also mercies to us, that we are given these words, particularly if you're not a follower of Jesus here today in this place, we're given these words because God desires, he wants you to turn from your sin and to believe the gospel. Jesus wants you to be saved. He wants to be your savior. And we see God's salvation, that he is the savior in the example of Lot. That's verse seven. God rescued Lot. It says this, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, okay? Now, we know that Lot was Abraham's nephew, and there's this moment where Abraham and and Lot are gonna go their separate ways to start establishing a people. Lot makes a decision. Abraham is gracious. He says, which way do you wanna go? And Lot looks around. That Lot over there looks really, really good. And so Lot moves to Sodom. He settles there because of the quality of the land. And honestly, uh, Lot, after that, Lot being called righteous here, might seem a bit surprising because Lot wasn't really the perfect role model, okay? There's not a lot of boys that grew up in the church whose parents called him Lot, okay? He made some bad decisions. And yet, Peter here calls him righteous Lot. See that? And I believe that's an encouragement, a great encouragement to us because what it tells us is this that the godly, that those that are declared righteous are not perfect. 
Rather, the godly live by faith. The godly are not perfect. The godly live by faith. And in that faith, they are made righteous. They are declared righteous by God. And so what we have in both the story of Noah and the story of Lot are beautiful pictures of the gospel. Neither of them were flawless. Neither of them had it all together. Neither of them made all the right decisions. And notice as well, the text doesn't say that Lot was rescued because he was righteous. But rather, he lives by faith and is declared righteous. And the same exact thing was true for Noah. God didn't save Noah because Noah had all the answers. He saved Noah because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And listen, it's the same thing for us. We are rescued, we are God's children, not because we have earned anything or can earn anything, but because we have had faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has then declared us or made us righteous, which means that this righteousness is a gift. I think the Apostle Paul put it best in Philippians 3 when he says this, I am found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God, that what? That depends on faith. Well, then Peter wraps up this section by giving us this powerful summary statement. Very powerful. Some believe that this is actually the crux or the pinnacle of the, the letter of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but we'll bleed it into verse 10. But this, this could be it. The, the big moment. It's at least the big moment for our section today. It says this. Then, based on everything he just said, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Peter says, look at God's track record. Look at his history. The Lord knows how to judge, and he knows how to rescue. He knows how to rescue us from our Trials, not just the, the end, right? right? Not just eternal judgment, not just saving us from that, but even our trials today. And what an incredible comfort that should be for us. That just as Lot was rescued, just as Noah was preserved, the Lord rescues his people. It's actually his specialty. He specializes in rescuing people. Listen, God is the just judge. We are reminded of that here again in verse 10. There are consequences for going our own way. There are consequences for choosing to walk down our own path, away from God's will and God's ways. That's a reality. And by the way, no one is exempt from judgment. No one. That's why he uses the angels as the example. Not even angels are exempt. We will all face judgment if we are walking away from God's way and his will. That's clear in 2 Peter 2. Judgment is coming. But... But it doesn't end there. But the good news of the gospel is that like Noah, like Noah, if we have faith in Jesus, we can find refuge in the storm. We can be set apart. The good news of the gospel is that like Lot, we can escape judgment if we just choose to turn away from the world and to turn towards Jesus if we trust him. So listen, what Peter, what Peter teaches us here, again, is that God is always true to his character. He has judged perfectly in the past. He is right in his judgment. He has been faithful to rescue. 
And so he will continue to do so. We don't have to doubt God's character today. This is who he is, and this is what he has done. And so he will continue to do this. And so in light of that, in light of that, and who God is, and what he promises to do, what do we do? What do we do? Well, it's actually really simple today. We devote our lives, we devote our lives to following Jesus as Lord. We trust him. We don't deny him like the false teachers. Not only that, but we pay careful attention to the way of truth. That's Peter's message here. We, don't, we know God's heart, actually. We know his heart. We know his desires today because we have his word that teaches us how to live our lives for Jesus and how to live our lives with Jesus. So let's pay attention to his word, what he said, and choose to go that way. So that we can also be aware of these false teachers that might, might, might come, not just might come, will come, right? And then finally, like Lot, like Lot, let's strive, let's make every effort to live a godly life amidst an ungodly culture. Let's commit ourselves to remain faithful. But beyond that, let's help other people do the same. We certainly live in an ungodly culture, but we are called to be godly. And so we link arms with our brothers and sisters and go down this path together. Thank the Lord we don't have to do it alone like Lot. And then like Noah, let's be proclaimers of the gospel. Let's tell people that there actually is good news today. Let's tell people that we have been rescued and that through Jesus, through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, they too can be freely, fully, and finally rescued as well. Amen? Praise God. Praise God today. It's a dark passage, okay? So it's heavy, but praise God that he knows how to rescue as well. Let me pray for you.